Hello and welcome once again to the Journal of Adolescent and Adult Literacy podcast. I'm your host, Matt Sroka. Here in the podcast, we discuss current theory, research, and practice in, in support of effective literacy instruction. And I say welcome once again, as if I've been doing this podcast for years, and this is yet another edition of the episode. And really, this is my first interview on, on the podcast. This is our, our first real episode with the first interview, but it makes me, it gives me comfort to pretend like I've been doing this a bunch. And this is welcome once again, welcome once again, I've been doing this for a while, but thank you for, for joining us today on the podcast where um, I'm excited. I'm pumped to be joined uh, by Dr. Aaron McNeil. Today we have, we're going to be talking about uh, a lot of conversations around um, teaching and working with uh, emergent bilingual and multilingual students. We're going to start a conversation off by talking about funds of knowledge. What does that uh, phrase mean? And uh, and why should teachers be aware of what funds of knowledge are? And then we quickly will jump into, okay, now that we recognize what funds of knowledge are, we'll talk about how teachers can design lessons to actually incorporate students' funds of knowledge, um, thus making um, the instruction more engaging um, for, 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 for those students. Uh, in the midst of this conversation, I will share some stories that I've experienced as a high school English teacher around funds of knowledge and working with emergent bilinguals. I will share some success uh, and also some failures <laughs> as as goes the life of a teacher. Uh, we will then shift our conversation to talking about uh, more general classroom environment questions. How do we create a classroom environment where students feel comfortable to share their stories, right, to, to feel comfortable to to be vulnerable in in a classroom and, and how to go about building relationships with our students so they can um, be 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 vulnerable um, and how would how this how this kind of stuff applies at all settings really right how how this how this these strategies um, and this and um, utilizing students funds of knowledge is not just a strategy to um, engage. Um, emergent bilinguals and multilingual students, but how this can be used to really engage all students um, in terms of literacy. So I hope you enjoy the episode. Erin McNeil received her doctorate in literacy, culture, and language education from Indiana University. As a curriculum instruction department member at Indiana University and a literacy program specialist at Central Indiana Education Services Center, she teaches English education courses and creates professional development materials for educators. Her previous research focuses on asset-based strategies for emergent bilinguals and prioritizes relationships with diverse students. This research led her to a current project funded by the National Council of Teachers of English, which studies how practitioners can use the information they learn about the students, students in literacy projects to build a culturally relevant curriculum based on students' experiences and interests. Dr. McNeil, welcome to the podcast. Thank you for having me. Absolutely. Um, your, your bio like raises new questions for me, but I'm going to show some self-control and not go there quite yet. But, um, I, I was first introduced to your work in an article from JAW, which I'll actually link in the show notes, um, titled immigration stories to reveal funds of knowledge and brave spaces in literacy curriculum. Um, and I wanted to start this conversation around the idea of funds of knowledge as a kind of a shared starting point and a, a kind of some shared vocabulary here. Can, can you explain uh, what funds of knowledge are and why teachers should be aware of them? Yes. So funds of knowledge, um, 
They are the knowledge that students bring into our classrooms from their communities, their experiences, from their families. Um, I think teachers should be aware of them because many students um, have a hard time connecting to the curriculum. And by using these experiences or what they've learned from their communities and being able to um, insert that into the curriculum we're teaching, then students seem to have a higher level of engagement. Um, I wrote this article when I was working as a English language learner instructional coach and a teacher. And I started by following my students into different classrooms. And I noticed that they were not talking ever about anything. They were sitting in their chair and they were very quiet. And when I started asking them questions about their families and their communities, they began to light up. So I then found the Funds of Knowledge, knowledge Research and realized how important it was to engage students and have them make connections with the literacy um, that we were reading. Yeah, I, I um, and I'm a former, I taught 14 years high school English um, and so I have a lot of experience in, in working with diverse students. And I know even understanding, like I understand funds of knowledge, I understand that this idea of, of trying to engage students and bring in kind of the, 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 the culturally responsive pedagogy that, that is responsive to, to their culture, to, to their home life and finding ways to engage with that. But I mean, the challenge I think for, for many teachers is like, I recognize the importance of valuing what they bring from home but trying to teach my curriculum, right, that doesn't specifically do that naturally, right? Like you have to intentionally do that and right. finding ways for that to be done. So I, I guess my question is, um, what advice would you give to teachers in, de in designing lessons that actually kind of um, draws upon their funds of knowledge? Well, I really took a deep dive into the research um, when I was trying to design curriculum, I started by asking all of the stakeholders in my school, um, the adults mainly, what you uh -huh. know, what are we doing for kids? How are we engaging them? And I didn't get any real answers. Um, and I started looking at, into culturally responsive pedagogies in Geneva Gay's um, book, and she talks about using stories. So we ask students to tell us their stories. Um, so that's where I began. I asked students to tell me their stories. Um, most English language arts teachers um, know that we usually start the year with some kind of narrative project um, based on standards. Um, even in Common Core standards, there's a narrative project of some sort. And so I asked students to tell me stories of their families. Um, and then I looked at what they told me and I did a thematic analysis. So I just pulled out the themes that they kept talking about. Um, and those were things like they were talking about their communities. They were talking about their families. They were talking about their experiences. And so then I would take whatever text we were reading and I would try to find places where it spoke about community or where it spoke about families. Mm. Um, so for example, um, we did a lesson on To Kill a Mockingbird and my students were, they were bored. The first several chapters in that book are um, not as exciting as the rest of the book. Um, mm -hmm. And there is a part in there where Boo Radley puts some, um, some little carvings of Scout and Jim in a tree and Scout and Jim find these. And we talked about artifacts and I asked students to bring in artifacts from their families or the communities. And they really opened up and talked about these artifacts. 
Um, another way I did this was by listening to the questions my students asked. So I was having trouble teaching my ENL students um, the Odyssey because they were having mm -hmm. trouble connecting to the curriculum. And I said, okay, we're gonna we're gonna put this away and we're gonna talk about um, heroic archetypes and you know, we're gonna talk about heroes like Odysseus. And one of my students said, is Odysseus a hero? He killed people and cheated on his wife. Hmm. And so <laughs> that became our question. And we began talking about what made him a hero and what didn't. So I really think the answer to your question is just paying attention to what students are saying and to what they're talking about. And that led me to be able to um, incorporate their funds of knowledge into the curriculum we were using. Yeah, I love those examples because that involves not completely changing the text you're using or, or developing a new curriculum. It's working within the curriculum that, that exists, which is great. I want to share with you a quick success story, personal personal success story and personal failure, and just get you to, to respond to it and reflect on it. Um, I had a, um, maybe six years ago, I taught a class and the, the majority of the students were emergent bilinguals in that class. Um, so it presented a new challenge for me. That was the first time I was faced with that situation. So it was a new challenge. And so I, I, I instead of teaching the, the, I forget what text I normally taught then, but I, I decided to teach The Distance Between Us, which is a memoir by uh, Reina Grande about her experience coming from Mexico to, to, to America. And I chose it for two reasons. A, I thought it would, students could connect more. Uh, uh, it would connect more with, with, with their lives. But, but the reality of it was too, I had a, I had several students who I wanted to provide a copy of the text in Spanish, and we just had a lot of Spanish copies of that text. Right. So I chose it for that reasoning as well. And, and by reading it, I was just kind of making up as I, as I went along because I'd never um, taught that text before. In that, within that text, there's this, this, this idea of, of having symbols that tie you back to home. And similar to your artifact assigned with Boo Radley, like we talked about symbols that connect with their homes and they ended up bringing in food and they ended up bringing um, um, even like uh, blankets and other things that connected them back um, to their kind of kind of home culture. Um, and, and that was totally accidental. Like I was just, I decided all of a sudden to do something different. And that kind of naturally emerged through the, the lesson. So that's my success story of like a time when like that, but it wasn't intentional, it just kind of happened and worked well. And it was, became a powerful lesson for all the reasons you said for, for my kids um, and for me, it was a powerful lesson. Right. So that's cool when that happens. My failure though, let me just also, before <laughs> I think too highly of myself, I feel like this happened more often where I would have not a majority of emergent bilinguals, I would have maybe one or two or three in the class. And then I felt like it was so much, it was so much easier for me to kind of not make the effort to intentionally make that connection and they just kind of get lost in the shuffle. And I feel like that happens too often. So what would be your response to, to someone like me who struggled when there's just like one or two students, right, who really would benefit from some of that funds of knowledge? Like how do you bring, how would you address that, th those needs? Yeah, I think it's really important, um, especially with the emergent bilingual in our population um, that they have the space and the opportunity to have conversations with their teachers one-on-one. Mm -hmm. -on -one. So just sitting next to them and doing the work, um, doing the same examples as they are doing, explaining your process, um, 
and just being there, being present so they can can see what you're doing. Um, Enrique Sepulveda writes about a pedagogy of accompaniment. And, mm-hmm. and he says that, you know, we work with one another. We go through the work with one another. So I really think it's important um, when we have any student that's struggling to sit with them and to show them how we're struggling and what we came to, the ideas that we came to when we're writing or reading. Um, I've definitely had those failures too. I think about um, teaching students how to read. And and I remember one day we were reading silently and I said, I just had a really hard time today. I struggled. There were other things on my mind. I only got through two pages. And one of my students said, that happens to you too. (laughs) And that was when I realized, gosh, I need to be talking to my students about my learning process as well, because it's a process for all of us. Um, and even though it may seem like everyone's getting it, some of us are silently struggling as we're trying to figure out um, either reading comprehension or writing activities. Yeah, I think that's really well said. I think there is like a need uh, as teachers to be vulnerable, right? Because not only does that let students know that we too struggle with these same things, but it, I think it creates, and I guess this is where I want to go next, kind of this classroom environment where everyone is okay to be vulnerable at times. Because I think when you're in a school setting and your job is to learn, like sometimes you get it, sometimes you don't. And if you're trying to get students to be authentic, right, authentic and actually sincerely engage with the text, that's going to cause them to to put themselves in vulnerable situations, whether telling stories that make them vulnerable or whether it's showing and making mistakes, which we want them to be able to comfortable to make mistakes. Um, so, how, so what is your advice in kind of going and creating um, this academic place, this classroom environment where kids can also be kind of open and honest? Well, I agree. It's about vulnerability. Um, I think what worked for me, um, I was also, I had been an English language arts teacher for 12 years. Okay. And I was all of a sudden the ENL teacher and coordinator and the only one in the building. And I wasn't sure what I was doing. And I was very open and honest with my students that I, I don't, I've never done this before. And we're all going to kind of learn this together and, and work on this together. And um, I think my big research question was, what am I learning from students? What are, what are they teaching me about how to teach mm-hmm. them? And I explained to them, this is this is what I'm doing. And, you know, I want to hear from you. And they really opened up to me. Um, I also used the pedagogy of accompaniment that I spoke about earlier. I did the projects with the kids. So um, I sat side, side by side with them um, and worked with them. Or I had an example that I had created before. Um, and that's a really vulnerable place as a teacher to give students your writing or your presentation and to ask them to critique it and what they would do differently. Um, and I really think that created the brave space for my students to be able to say, okay, she has told us these things and now we can talk to her about the things we're experiencing as well. Yeah, I think that, uh, yeah, it's really interesting. Just going back to my success story, Um, reading the distance between us like that was also my first time reading it I shouldn't admit this right but (laughs) I had not read it ahead of time so I was reading it kind of with them Mm -hmm. staying like a day ahead of them and I think that's also part of what made it successful I don't know if we should go around recommending that but 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 it's this idea right of of doing it with them I I I I love that idea and also yeah I also love the idea of like learning from our students because 
um, I'm also big into this idea that we all are in the state of becoming like these people, these teachers that we're becoming, right? And we're never there. I think there's this element of people think, oh, once you've been teaching for 10 years, like you got it, like you know what right. you're doing now. <laughs> but that's not ever the case as teachers know, like we're always trying to be better. And I think a great place to go to learn how to be better is talking to our students. I really like that idea. Their feedback is is wonderful, and I also think um, when you sit with them, when you're reading together, and and that gives them a place for reflection and a place to talk about, you know, the questions they have, or for you to bring up questions that you have of how does this make you feel, and what do you think about this text. So sometimes reading with students is important as well. Yeah, can I ask you uh, also just a question, kind of more about the education system in place, and then we'll get back to classroom environment. You mentioned you were the, kind of the only. Um, person there in that role is I, I think this speaks to often in schools. I've seen it in the high schools I've taught at um, where we had one EL specialist for the entire um, high school uh, where we had a very large um, EL population. There seems to be a lack of resources in many schools. Um, what advice maybe can we offer to teachers who don't have the resources they would like to maybe help them do this, right? Because they're in full classrooms, they have full schedules, they don't have extra time. Um, how can we help teachers who lack resources to do this? Well, and again, I think for me, the resources were in the form of my students. Mm. So I was looking at research, um, trying to find some ideas of how to teach the student population that, that was different. And, and I was also trying to teach the same curriculum as the other English language arts teachers, but to a different population. And I kept trying to find, you know, I would Google teaching the Odyssey to emergent bilinguals and I would get nothing. And then I, you know, mm. those kind of things. Mm -hmm. And I, I realized um, after I had asked and Googled and searched and I thought, oh, they're right in front of me. The answers are right here. I need to talk to my students about what they know and what they don't know. And, um, you know, really just thinking about what do they need to know to be successful? What are the skills they need to have for, for this particular text we're reading or this particular piece of writing that we're working on? And then talking to them about what they already know and um, what they need to know. And sometimes that also means you're grouping them differently. Um, you know, you have some students that you're doing many lessons for as they're learning to write you know, one sentence claims and evidence while other students are creating argumentative debate debates or presentations. And so I think really just using the students and talking to them about what they know, what questions they have, um, that was where I found success. And then I could also find some journal articles or books that would also help me, um, I guess, maybe put a name to what I was doing mm -hmm. or or help me think of other ideas that I hadn't quite thought of yet. Yeah, I think it's I, I a really good way to put, because my experience too is like getting more into the professional literature. I found like, and this was after I was teaching for a while, I found a lot of names for stuff I kind of believed. And and I think that's important, right? To, to look at scholarly work as well, because all of a sudden it gave me confidence in that I wasn't crazy here, what I was doing was backed by research. It gave me confidence when I was observed by my supervisors. It gave me confidence that I was doing what's best for my kids because the research supported that as well. So yeah, I think that blend of, of using our students and using research is, is a, a pretty healthy place to, to, to be in terms of our own professional development. 
Um, it also reminds me of um, Gloria Latson Billings, who you know has the article that's just good teaching, talking about culture responsive teaching. And I think a lot of what you're talking about, right? To me, it sounds like just good teaching too, right? Like just getting to know our students, asking them about um, um, their own stories, asking them about how they're doing in the class, asking how we can support them, like all these conversations we're having. I know we're talking about the context of like our our emergent bilingual students and population, but to me, right, this just sounds like good teaching for all of our students, right? Yes, I agree. Yeah. yeah. Uh, so if we can kind of expand out, I know we talked a lot about an English classroom setting. Mm-hmm. Um, we may have people listening who teach in different settings from, from middle school um, through the college level. Um, how how did you, do you think the ideas um, that you've been studying um, and you've been re- re- researching, how, how might they apply in different settings, right, compared to maybe a college classroom, compared to a, a, a middle school classroom? Well, um, I think with my pre-service teachers, so in a college classroom, I think when I we talk about what they're doing often, and I work on getting to know them and engaging with them, um, I share the lessons that I have done and the unit plans I have done before I give them the actual um, assignment of where they're going to create a lesson plan. So I think it's it's much of the same. It's talking to students and understanding where they're coming from. But I think it's also about um, authentic activities and tasks. So mm-hmm. um, giving students things that are going, there's a purpose for their reading, or there's a purpose for the math that they're doing. Um, I don't know if you've read um, Peter Lulgedal, he's written Building Thinking Classrooms in Mathematics, and he talks a lot about tasks and authentic tasks, which is also um, a purpose for reading comprehension. So I think um, doing the work with the students and giving them you know, a purpose for whatever work they're doing, whether it's a question they've asked or a critical thinking activity, or maybe it's a presentation they're going to do or a paper they're going to write, but letting them know ahead of time, we're doing this with the end in mind, with the purpose in mind, so they understand the reasoning for what you're asking them to do and then being there to do it with them. I think those are important in every classroom, regardless if we're teaching math or language arts or even in a college classroom. Yeah, that's it's true. Sometimes I think the authentic cell might be easier working with pre-service teachers, right? Like we're preparing this lesson plan because you're going to go teach this lesson plan in right. the future where it's a little bit harder sell on the odyssey right in with the with the ninth grade classroom and so but i think our job right our task as teachers is finding ways to make the connection to make um like the hero odysseus make him t- turn that character into something we can do that's that's authentic for for students and that they find actual value right that has value to 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 their lives so i think right. that's a good way to think about it Yeah. And, you know, with Odysseus, the students gave me the authentic task. I was struggling. I couldn't figure out what the authentic task could be. And, you know, they they ask a question. um, Is he really a hero? And that created our whole unit and it gave them a purpose. They, you know, they interrogated the text and they looked at other different heroes in different texts. And it really gave them a purpose, but it was their purpose. They created the question, um, but then they were able to follow up with authentic tasks by looking at different texts and deciding whether they follow the heroic archetype or whether they were um, a monster. So it was really interesting to see what can happen when you ask students questions. Yeah, that, that, that is interesting. And 
that goes, I mean, now in my new role here, working with pre-service teachers as well, like we talk a lot about teacher-driven versus student-driven, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and sometimes that's like you want everything to be kind of student-driven, but sometimes it's so hard to get them there. But when it naturally emerges, right, when that student-driven mm-hmm. kind of na- na- naturally mer- emerges because they're coming up with the question that they're exploring and they're exploring that in kind of a sincere way, that's mm-hmm. when like education becomes um, a, a, a beautiful thing, right? So that's ultimately the, the goal is what can we do to get it more and more student driven where they're in control kind of of well, their of their learning. And creating those relationships is, you know, that that is yeah. where that that came from is that the students, we had a good enough relationship for the student to, you know, talk back to me and say, now wait a minute, I don't think that's right. I don't think he's a hero in this literature. And maybe we should talk about that. Um, so I think having those relationships where you're working together and um, you know everybody's voice matters and everybody's voice counts um, is where you get those student-led ideas. Yeah, and, and a place where they're not afraid to, to take chances, right? And, and maybe be wrong by uh, by expressing that, this idea. Uh, I think we need more of those classroom environments. I think it's really good. I agree. All right, Dr. Aaron McNeil, thank you. Do I'm I'm curious, what's like what's next for you? Where 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 are you headed as far as your 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 work and teaching goes? Well, so as I mentioned earlier, when I was in the classroom, um, in the English language arts classroom, I kept trying to find ways to teach um, either texts that were texts that were mandated by my district. So more often than not, they were texts that were in the canon or texts that were. Um, Common Core text, and I had a really hard time trying to figure out how to make these culturally responsive. Mm-hmm. And so I thought, I can't be the only person um, that is having trouble with this. So I'm working on a grant right now where I'm interviewing English teachers and observing their classroom, and I'm trying to figure out how other teachers are making their content um, engaging and relevant to students um, and either district mandated content or you know, texts from the canon or texts that are required by their district. So I've been looking at that lately. Um, and it's it's really exciting work. It's really exciting to watch how teachers create authentic activities for their students um, and the things they do to engage with students. So that that's what I'm working on now. I find that so interesting. I, I did my dissertation work on the reading habits of English teachers and how it kind of impacts what, what, what they do in the classroom. So very much in line uh, with with my previous research, and um, I think also like young adult literature. I don't know what you're going to do with this, but I feel like y- young young adult literature here could could fill a space here, right? Because yes. if we can pair it with some of these canonical works, um, a lot of young, young adult literature now speaks to the diversity that we see in our classrooms in a way that I think the traditional texts we teach really don't. Yeah, that's a great point. Yeah. All right. Um, is there anything we can? Uh, promote? Do you have a website or anything we, we can promote or plug for you here at the end of the show? Yeah, my website is erinfmcneil.com. And thank you for having me. Absolutely. I really enjoyed this conversation. Thank you.